0: Coastal, great to see you. Get your Bible out, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. And uh, so glad you're here. You can take some notes on the note sheet. Pastor Edge, you made it back. Man, why don't you get in? Now we can have this conversation. What time? Did you drive through the night? He loves Jesus. I'm telling you, man, he drove from Florida. And Pastor Mike, I noticed we're like twinsies today, man, wearing the same outfit, so it's always good to match up. Hey, uh, last week, by the way, I want to thank Marcus for filling in. Didn't he do a great job? And uh, he can't hear you. He's at the Hampton campus. But anyway, I'll let him know you applauded. But I just want to let you know, like, one of the things I've been telling you is we're praying about multi-siting, adopting campus, and revitalizing, man. We've been, myself, Pastor Andrew, and many of our pastors, we've been investing in some young guys godly men. There are going to be some great pastors. He's one of them. And so really, really excited to see what's happening. And as I'm talking about vision and giving time, talent, and treasure, like we're investing in some people and we really believe uh, Marcus is one of those great young men that God's going to continue to do stuff. I'm really, he did a great job. I'm really, really thankful. It's Christmas season, right? How many of y'all watched your favorite Christmas movie already? Be honest, right? You got an early start. Our family has a lot of favorite movies. Like, I don't know what yours is. We, we love Elf. Any Elf lovers? Like there's a lot of, a lot of Elf comments in my home all throughout the Christmas season. It wouldn't be uncommon that someone's passing through our house to walk past a bathroom and be like, man, these toilets are ginormous, you know? And that that's a common saying. And uh, yeah, so Polar Express, any Polar Express watchers? Yeah, those characters are a little creepy at times in that movie. And uh, It's a Wonderful Life, amazing movie, right? Uh, Hallmark watchers, right? Let me just, what well, Hallmark movies, Christmas time, somebody loses the Christmas spirit meet someone a significant other while they are meeting this person and falling in love they regain the christmas spirit and realize that they should have started a business that becomes wildly successful every hallmark movie that's the plot right and so uh, and so we all have a favorite christmas movie My, mine is probably die hard and um <laughs> Nothing says Merry Christmas like now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Okay, so nothing says Merry Christmas. But speaking of action movies... Um you know, Hollywood, we have to be careful with the culture in Hollywood because Hollywood lies to us and I've learned this in action movies. Here's here's some things I've learned in action movies that you got you've probably learned as well. Um one of the things you'll learn in an action movie is the ventilation system of any building is the perfect hiding place, right? Every action movie ends up there at some point. Um the other thing I've learned in action movies from Hollywood is a man will show no pain while taking the most ferocious beating but will wince in great pain when a woman tries to clean his wounds, all right? You'll, every action movie, you learn that. Uh, you learn in action movies that every car crash uh, ends up with the car bursting into flames. Uh, you'll learn that in an action movie. You will learn in any action movie that any lock can be picked by a credit card or a paper clip within seconds, Unless it's the door to a burning building with a child trapped inside, then they can't get the door open. Um, all, the other thing I learned in action movies, all bombs are fitted with electronic timing devices with large red readouts so you know exactly when that bomb is going to go off. I learned that in action movies. Two more things I learned in action movies. I've learned in action movies that all medieval peasants have perfect teeth, right? Haven't you learned that in all action movies? And then the last one I've learned is it doesn't matter if you're heavily outnumbered in a fight involving martial arts, your enemies will patiently wait to attack you one by one (laughs) by dancing around in a threatening manner until you've knocked out their predecessor. So we have to be careful, right? Hollywood lies to us. And we have to—we really do have to be careful with the things that we teach our minds and our hearts, uh, what the culture, what Hollywood, the TV, internet throws at us, right? To how we have peace, right? If this time of year, you if your marriage is struggling, all you got to do is click on the TV. And if you buy that really expensive piece of jewelry and put it around your spouse's neck, there'll be peace in the house, right? Or Park that car with a bow out in front driveway on Christmas morning and all will be right in the world. And, and so we have to teach our mind and our hearts and remind ourselves, what is it that indeed brings peace? Because the culture will lie to us. And so Philippians chapter four is where we're going to park this morning. Beautiful passage of scripture that the apostle Paul wrote for us, for the church of Philippi and for us today. And, and here's what he says. Check this out. Philippians 4.4. 4. Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Verse seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. will be with you. So I want to encourage you this morning with a couple quick points out of this text. First of all, uh, we, know, we the peace of God begins with rejoicing always, and Paul adds a very important tagline here, in the Lord. Rejoicing always in the Lord, Paul says. This, he's writing this text, by the way. You know, we sing a lot of songs at Coastal with the language of rejoice in them. They're usually upbeat. They get us clapping. They get us cheering. This passage, and they come from this passage. In this passage, Paul is writing while he's in jail. And he's in prison because he's a Christian. He's been in prison because of his faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet in that circumstance, he's able to challenge us and encourage us with, we need to rejoice in the Lord. And what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Well, you can only have peace with God if you're in the Lord. And the beginning of your the peace of God starts with having peace with God. And that begins with understanding why you need to be in the Lord, Okay, the Bible actually says that apart from Christ, we're actually enemies with God. We, apart from Christ, we want to do things our own way. Apart from Christ, apart from a regenerated heart and mind that beats for the things of God, apart from that, we, we don't want God to be the boss of us, right? We do things our own way, opposite of the character and the holiness of God. And therefore, the scripture says what we've earned apart from Christ is the wrath of God. We deserve God's punishment, but but God in his grace and in his mercy and in his patience with you and with with me, he gifted us something. Why do we give gifts at Christmas? We give gifts at Christmas because we worship a God who's generous. He's a gift giver. And John 3, 16 says he gave. What did he give? His one and only son. He wrapped his son in flesh and Jesus came to this earth that he created and he was mistreated by those he created, by the creature and he, he, he paid a penalty of our sin on the cross. You know that thing that you hope no one ever finds out about because you have so much shame and guilt? Well, guess what? It's been paid for if you're in Christ by Jesus on the cross. He took the sin and the weight and the punishment of God's wrath on our sin on the cross. And he bore our sin on the cross and then he laid him in a grave and the grave couldn't hold him. He overcame the consequence of sin, which is death, And three days later, he bodily rose from the grave. And when we repent of sin and we say, man, I'm a sinner and I need saving. And we believe in the good news, the gospel message of Jesus. We now have peace with God. And when we have peace with God, we are in the Lord. And we were able to rejoice no matter the circumstances. Amen, church? And listen, if you don't know Christ, man, we want you to know him after the service. Our prayer team members will be up here. We would love to talk to you, man. How is it that you can have peace with God? Because you're gonna be knotted up when we're gonna look at that in a minute in anxiety and fear and shame and rebellion against the Lord until you first have peace with God. And that comes in the person knowing Jesus Christ. And, And I really, really believe this. Your measure of peace in this life can be directly related to how you think about God. Your thoughts about God and what you think God is up to and doing will directly relate to the amount of peace you have in this life. When we have peace, we remind ourselves, number two, as the Apostle Paul does, that the Lord is at hand. Check this out in Philippians 4 verse 5. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. I really like that language. I'm gonna unpack it. But the first thing Paul says is your reasonableness. This is a this is a really rich Greek word. I don't I don't usually like dive in with my teaching here of, of the original languages. We really don't have a great English word for this word reasonableness it it is really a, a a large word that it, it, is pregnant with meaning it, it covers the idea of generosity uh, that a, a person that's in Christ in the Lord is they're they're a generous person they're a person that's filled with mercy towards the failings of others. They're a person that's big hearted. They're a person that's gentle. I mean, it's really in some ways describing a person walking in the fruit of the spirit. You know, there is a fullness in in a Christian's life that, man, they are walking with God. There is a peace that flows out of them. And Paul uses this word reasonableness. And so he says, as Christians, people should know there should be a sense that there's something different in us as we're going through this life, that there is a peace in our lives. And he says, because the Lord is at hand. Now, this phrase, the Lord is at hand, could mean one of two things. And I think both of these ideas should bring us great peace, okay? The first one, or letter B, the Lord is at hand, it could mean the idea that the Lord is going to return soon. That could be what the apostle Paul's saying, that your reasonableness regardless of your circumstances, should be known to others because the Lord is at hand. He's, he, he could return at any moment. The theological term for that is imminent. Like his return could be at any moment. And so what I think the, the apostle could be teaching us here is this idea that as a Christian, we recognize and we understand that our life is just a vapor, and at any moment, the Lord could come back. And so we go through life with what I like the phrase I like to use is an eternal perspective. We are constantly dealing with the, with the things, the circumstances in our life, with the understanding, no matter what I'm going through, it's a short season called life. And God created me to live forever and ever and ever. And the Lord is at hand. He could come at any moment and we would welcome his coming. Amen, and, and by the way, I hope you're looking forward to the coming of the Lord. And this, this evening, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and we're going to remind when Paul when we do take the Lord's Supper, as we took did a couple of weeks ago, and Pastor Cliff reminded us, right? Take the Lord's Supper. We look backwards to what Christ did. We look inwards as Christ in us. And we also look forward to the return of Christ. The Lord is at hand. It could mean that, or it could mean that the idea that the Lord is close by to us in our difficulties, right? And so, letter C, we're in we're to invite the Lord into our difficulties. So you're going through challenges. Let your reasonableness be shown to others. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. He's near you. He cares for you. At Christmas time, we use the word what? Emmanuel, which means what church? I know? God with us, right? God took on the creator, and he set foot on the planet. And it reminds us that God is with you in the middle of challenges. He cares for you. You can pray to him. You can ask him. He cares for you regardless of the circumstances. Psalm 34 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And if you, if you came here this morning and your heart has been broken, I got, uh, listen, here's some, some news for you. Like the Lord is at hand. He cares for you he's near to the brokenhearted he saves those who are who are crushed in spirit and so we we have peace with the lord as we remind ourselves that the lord is at hand he he's nearby We don't worship and serve a distant, deistic God for those that are found. Many of our founding fathers believed in deism, that God kind of wound up the world. And then all, he stepped back. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, he is at hand. He cares for you, okay? Which leads to number three. We can have peace because prayer is the antidote to anxiety, Prayer is the antidote to the anxiety. Check this out in Philippians chapter four, verse six. Paul goes on to say, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, this is really important, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Man, this, this verse challenges me. What does Paul say? He says, do not be anxious about what? Anything, anybody here come in this morning, you don't have to raise your hand like you did with the Christmas movies, but any of you any of you come in here with some anxiety this morning like man i'm I've been worked up about fill in the blank. It is really, really difficult to have joy and to have peace if we're full of anxiety it, and i and I would. I would challenge you and challenge me because I get anxious at times too. I would challenge us when we grow anxious that the root of anxiety often, not always, but the root of anxiety very often is what we believe about God. The root of anxiety very often is what we believe about God. Anxiety often, at least for me, it comes from this idea that, that God is not sovereign when I'm full of anxiety. That, that if, if it's going to work itself out, it, it's on me. I'm going to have to work it out. Anxiety for me very often comes from the idea that God is somehow not good. And his word is not true when he says all things work together for good for those who love God and call according to his purposes. Romans 8, right? Somehow that one doesn't apply to me. And so I'm full of anxiety. It's what I believe about God. That when I'm full of anxiety, it's often the idea that God can't intervene and change the circumstances to the better, for his glory. Or it's the idea that God cannot give me sustaining grace to get through whatever it is I'm going through, right? It's ultimately, oftentimes for me, anxiety comes down to what I actually believe about God. I wanna give you a passage of scripture. It's a long one, but I hope that you'll reference it frequently, especially if you're knotted up with anxiety. This is the one that the Lord often gives to me. And I have to remind myself that it comes from the greatest sermon ever preached. And, and, and even though Pastor Andrew is a great ser- preacher, it's not one of his. Okay. So it's actually the sermon of Jesus, right? And it's the greatest sermon ever preached on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus in Matthew chapter six, and I want you to see this church. I hope it encourages you when we're knotted up with anxiety. Jesus said this, he said, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, nor save in 401 case. Yet your heavenly father does what? He makes sure they have what they need. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can you add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you so anxious about clothing? I mean, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And then he gives, Jesus gives a gentle rebuke, right? Oh, you of, what's it say next, church? Oh, you of little faith. And therefore, Jesus said, don't be anxious, saying, man, what are we going to eat? Or what should we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, this is his word for unbelievers, for the unbelievers seek after all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Church, this is intimacy. God cares for you. The Lord is at hand. Instead, Jesus gives us something positive to focus on. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his what? That's how you live, by the way. And guess what? All these things will be added unto you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough problems, right? We'll be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's a great picture. And by the way, the Bible, I don't think what Jesus is saying here is that God and God is going to take care of us. I don't think Jesus is saying we don't do any planning. We don't ever think about the future. In fact, Jesus in Luke 14 teaches us, right, that you don't build a building unless you first do something. What? Count the cost. That's planning, right? You don't you don't go to war unless you count. So we plan. We, we should make our plans. You know, I say it's said in front of the church a couple weeks ago, I man, a vision the, the direction we believe God's leading coastal church. But we make plans, but the Lord orders the steps, right? And we trust the Lord. And, and we don't have to be anxious for everything because the Lord is with us. Instead of anxiety, Paul says this letter B, we should pray. Instead of being anxious, we should pray and we should we should make our request known to God. And why, how did Paul say we make our request known to God? With thanksgiving. Now think about that for a minute. When was the last time you were going through a hard time and you thanked the Lord for the difficult time? What does that do? When we say, "Hey Lord, I'm going through this fill-in-the-blank difficult time," and I, I don't understand, but I I can thank you because I. What does that Thanksgiving do? It 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 lets us, our hearts, of course the Lord, but it lets our hearts know I'm actually a dependent person. I'm dependent on the Lord. And so if I'm going through a difficult time, these difficult times often require that we, we are dependent. And there is a great peace in knowing that God is working a great plan that we get to be a part of to bring him great glory for all of eternity. And so Paul invites us when we're full of anxiety to pray. By the way, tonight is night of prayer, five o'clock. Man, we have filled this building three times this morning. Three times. I want to challenge you, be here tonight. Let's fill it once for night of prayer. If three services filled this place up, the seats would be overflowing, there'd be no parking. That would be awesome. Pastor Andrew, wouldn't that be awesome? You're the one who usually does most of the planning. What if we had to do two services for night of prayer. How awesome would that be, right? Guys, we need to be in prayer. Tonight, we're going to do some praise. We're going to do some, the Lord's Supper, and we're going to be in prayer. What are we praying about? One of the things we're going to pray about is your invitations that we're sending out to invite people to the Christmas Eve service. So they can hear the gospel. Let's be praying about that. Amen. Our world needs the gospel. We need to be in prayer. And so there's great peace in praying instead of stirring up with anxiety. Number four, when we guard number four, we have peace with God when we guard our thought life. The mind is critical to our journey with the Lord and peace with God. Look at verse 7. It's an incredible verse of scripture. Probably many of y'all have it memorized. It says, In the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any, any excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy or worthy of praise, think about these things. Listen, the Bible puts a heavy emphasis on our thinking. In fact, your life is really in some ways the the sum of your thoughts. I don't know if you ever thought about that, right? Because your thoughts become intentions and intentions become actions and actions become habits and habits become months. And months become years, and years becomes a legacy. Y'all with me on that? Years become the, the wake that you lead behind of what people know about you. And remember, um, I, I used this story earlier this year, so I always hate to use these stories twice in a year, but just as I was writing the sermon, my mind went to a very good friend of mine, Martha Bennis. I know many of you know her, and, and, uh, and she... Lost her battle to cancer several years ago. She's with the Lord now, and uh, and because of uh, our relationship together and just knowing her journey with cancer through the years, I was just in a position to ask her some tough questions as she was dying. Um, and for those of you who knew Martha, man, she just exuded peace. I mean, like when I read this verse, my mind goes oftentimes to her, just a peace that passed understanding, uh, joy. She rejoiced in the Lord, and so I asked her one time. I said. Um, You know, about a month before she passed, my wife and I were visiting with her, and I said, How do you process dying so young? Like, what are you thinking about? And this is what she said She said, I am humbled that the Lord would want me to be home so soon. Like, who says that? And so I asked her that. I'm like, Martha, nobody says that. Like, who, what in the world? Who says that? And she says, Well, I get up every morning and I go to bed every night and I I quote Philippians 4 7, and I ask God, Give me a peace that passes understanding. It starts in the mind, church. You know what worry is? Worry is thinking about something that you can't control and thinking about it over over and 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 over again. But peace comes when we choose to think about things that Paul gives us to think about. He says, listen, instead of worry, instead of the anxiety, thinking about things that you can't control, set your mind on some, and he gives us a list. So here it is, ready? He says, think about things that are true. Think about things that are true. Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 as he was leading his disciples in prayer, and he was praying to his father, he said, your word is truth. Church, we, we must be people of the word of God. And, and what I mean by that is, yes, we're gonna come and we're gonna hear it preached here, but like, you have to be in the word regularly on your own. There are, the culture is is spinning at 180 degrees in the opposite direction of the word of God. We're being pumped with thousands and thousands and thousands of subtle lies every single day. Right? And and so what's going to happen is, You're going to, if you're not processing the world through the grid of the word of God, you're going to begin to buy into a false worldview. And some of y'all may remember a couple weeks ago, I went through some of the false idols of the world and how we're adopting them. And what that's going to do is it's going to leave us with worry and anxiety. And so, if you come to Coastal for another time, we're going to open the word and we're going to preach it. And at times, and it's going to be culturally uncomfortable. And it's not because I'm trying to spread hate or whatever the culture might call it. It's because I believe the words of Jesus when Jesus said, You will know the truth, and the truth will what? So, doesn't that presume then the opposite is if we're going to believe lies, it's going to leave us in bondage? Right? And, and my concern is not that I'm angry at anybody. My concern is that, man, we have a culture that's just careening towards bondage. And therefore, we're not going to know joy and we're not going to know peace. But as Christians, we can know and think and, and live those things. Why? Because our minds are stayed on what is true, the scriptures say. Paul said, think about things that are honorable. Honorable things that are noble or worthy of respect. Think about things that are right. The idea of right is the idea of thinking about things that are righteous. Thinking about things that are in perfect harmony with God's character. Think about things that are pure. The word pure here is is morally clean, holy. Listen, if, if if you're filling your head with music all day, every day that's sexually explicit, It's got you thinking about things that are not true or honorable or praiseworthy or excellent. We'll get to those in a second, but you're starting to fill your mind with music constantly that doesn't have you thinking about the things of the Lord. Well, guess what happens? Thinking becomes what? An intention and attention becomes what? an action, and an action becomes what? A habit. And all all the way down the line, the things that you choose to think about. That's why you've got to be in the word, right? If you're filling your mind with pornography, that's not holy. It's not moral. It's not pure. You start thinking about that. And a thought becomes what? An intention. An intention becomes a you got the picture, right? We've got to fill our minds with things that are pure. Lovely. Lovely is the idea of sweet or gracious. This is, this is, this is my wife's curse word, actually. This is when I know I've crossed the line. I say something, she's like, lovely. Okay? So uh, it's things that are sweet and gracious. That's how awesome my wife is. That's the worst thing she says. Um, sweet or gracious think about things that are commendable or excellent or praiseworthy that's things that are highly regarded and, and of course the the uh, the world always takes things that god has given us that are good and makes a, a cheap imitation right does that with sex god made sex it's good he made it inside the confines of one man and one woman in the confines of marriage right and then the world just and the devil and all that and takes it and manipulates it into something bad right something that's bad for us and you know, twisted. Same thing with the word meditate, right? The, the the Bible actually tells us to meditate. So the world says when we meditate, we're to empty our minds. Well, that's not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is the idea of filling our minds with all the things here on the list that Paul gave us to think about. And when our minds are filled with truth and we think about truth, the Bible leaves no doubt that our lives, our peace, our joy, They're products of the things that we think about. And then finally, Paul gets really practical here. He says this in point number five, okay? He says, you gotta do what it says. You gotta do it, right? You can't stop with intention. It's gotta spill out into doing. Philippians chapter four, verse nine. Paul says, what you have learned, so we come to coastal corporate worship, we learn something about the Lord, and we've received, and we've heard, and you've seen in me. What does he say next, church? Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You've got to do what the word of God calls us to do. And what is practice? When you hear the word practice, right? If you're an NBA fan, you think of Allen Iverson, right? What are we talking about here? practice. Anyway, no NBA fans. Okay. Anyway, so to so practice, right? It's it's process. It's it's repetition. It's doing something over and over and over until it becomes a discipline and and we get good at it. It means we're in process. We're improving. We're practicing. We're doing what God has called us to do, right? Like how many of y'all went to like your your elementary schools kids band, Christmas band recital, or it's coming up, right? Let me just prepare you, like, the elementary school band sounds like a train wreck in slow motion. It just does, like, you know, and, and as a parent, you're like, that was great. I don't know what song that was, but that was great, you know, and, and with practice, they end up up here, right, leading us in corporate worship, and they get they get good at it. There's the discipline process. My son is trying to play high-level golf. And um, last year, I was kind of on him. And I was like, I don't, I don't think your putting's good enough. And then this year, his putting's really improved. And, and uh, I was like, man, how, you know, what have you done to get your putting to improve? And he goes, well, Dad, I've been working really hard at it. He goes, every day I, for, the, for the last few weeks, I've been spending four hours a day putting one-handed four hours a day. I was like, maybe, maybe you should get a job. I don't know. So like, I don't know, like, um, but he's got, it's improved. Like he's gotten really good at it. You know, we, we practice. Right. And so, um, at Coastal, our vision is a church is for you to develop and we use the word develop very intentionally because it's a process. Develop as authentic followers of Jesus Christ, right? Like there's this, we're growing to be more like Christ. And as we grow to be more like Christ, we have peace in our lives, right? As we're doing things God's way, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all the stuff you're anxious about will be added unto you, right? Right? Now what Jesus said? Isn't that what we looked at this morning? And so, you know, we looked at our New Testament. He said, how, how as a group of people can we develop and grow to be more like Jesus? And what does the Bible tell us? And so, number one, we want you to do what? Connect. What does that mean? Corporate worship. You ready? Every week. Your executive pastor drove through the night, got here at 5.15, he's here this morning. Why? Because it's important to him, for his family, to see him connecting in worship. I know him, I know why he's here. It matters to him. Why? So that, so that as we sing these words of God, that we sang together, that it encourages our hearts, so our mind has been bombarded with thousands of lies this week. And from the culture, we're now putting it in perspective. And you came in here and you're weary and you're tired and you're reminding yourself, man, God has created you for an eternal purpose to display the glory of God. And we sing that together and it encourages your heart. And we open the word of God and we're reminded from the word of God that we're in process developing like to be more like Jesus. And in that development process, we have peace of with God if we're in Christ and we have the peace of God as we do this journey. We have to be reminded of that 52 weeks A year. Amen? And listen, I I love the online thing, and I think it's an important part of what we do, but but you have to be here. I had somebody tell me if all you're doing is online, it's like putting a fireplace on your TV screen. It looks nice, but it doesn't throw off any warmth. Right? You gotta be a part. And then we want you to do what? What's next in the process? Grow, right? You got to be in a small group. Why? Because you have to have other people in your life, other people that love you, pray for you. When times get hard, you get to pray and be with them when times for them get hard. People that look at you and when you're thinking about something inappropriately, they're like, you know what? You're not thinking about that, right? Let's go over to Matthew six. You need some like biblical encouragement right now. People that love you enough to help you journey with Christ. You cannot do this alone. You have to connect, you have to grow and you have to do what? What's number three? You serve. Thank you. Yes, you gotta serve, right? That means you gotta give back. God created you to give back, and as you're giving back, He fills you with His peace, to, because you get to be a part of helping others grow in Christ and, and know Christ. Listen, we'll finish with this this morning. Have you ever have you ever been around? Have you ever been around somebody that like you go to? And this is the serve part. You ever go to minister to somebody and? as you're getting ready to minister to them, like maybe you have a friend that's dying of cancer, right? And, and you go to minister to them and you're all knotted up because you don't know what to say. Like, what's this going to be like? And you walk in the room and as you minister to them, they encourage you. You ever had that happen? And you leave going like, man, like they legit have the peace that passes understanding. By the way, I've got really good news for you, right? Uh, if you're ever wondering like, I call it future grace. You're ever wondering when you're with that person and you leave and you're like, I hope when I get there, I have that kind of peace. You ever do that? Like, man, I hope when that day comes for me, I have, well, I got really good news for you. You will. You don't get it in advance. You get it when the circumstance is necessary, right? It's called future grace. Future grace. God gives you the grace you need in the moment that you need it. Amen, church? So you can encourage your heart and mind, like God is going to supply what I need to get through whatever I need to get through whenever the time comes. And so here it is, right? Here's the journey. First, you have to have peace with God and that comes in Christ. Then once you have peace with God, God now indwells you by the Holy Spirit that's in you and you develop an eternal perspective and you recognize that whatever you're going through, God is with you. And he's going to make sure that he empowers you to get through whatever it is you need to get through. Because you're going to remind your heart and mind, Romans 8, where it says that if God is for you, then who can be what? Against you. And what's the answer? No one. And when no one can be against you, man, there's great peace in that. No one can rob from me what God is doing. He's with me. He's not against me. Romans chapter 8, verse 37, Paul says, no, in all of these things, that these things is the difficulties of life, famine, hardship, broken bodies, broken relationships, in all of these things, we're more than conquerors. The word there is actually super conqueror. No, in all these things, we're super conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen, church. Now God is with you in Christ. And if God is with you, nothing can be against you. And you will have the peace of God when you have peace with God. Listen, if you don't know God this morning or you're investigating God and you want to know, man, how, how do I get things straight between me and God? Because I am knotted up. The, life's, the world seems topsy-turvy to me. Listen, our prayer team is up here after the service. They would love to talk to you about how to have peace with God through the gospel of Jesus. It's been an interesting week here at Coastal for a lot of reasons. And um, I've just been, um, as your pastor, man, I've just been praying for you guys. Um, the holiday season can be great and it can be tough at the same time. It's got this really weird, and I've been doing this a long time as pastor. And this time of year, I was t- one of the things I've trained all my pastors in, I said, December, your counseling load picks up. I've been doing it for 20 years. It picks up because it's just something about what we expect the season to be. And what it sometimes is, is so different that people just need some help. Just need some prayers. Just need some encouragement. So I've been thinking about you. you I I, I want you guys, yes, to have peace with God, but also know the peace of God. Because he's with you. And so you have to have Christ. And I want you to be eternally minded that Jesus, the good shepherd, has not forgotten you. The Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. He's with you. John 10, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, but the sheep hear my, the, the sheep know my voice. And then you can take John, John 10 and run the 23rd Psalm, right? Who, ultimately, that, the 23rd Psalm finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The Lord is my shepherd. What? I shall I want, he's with you. And I want you to trust in the Lord. And I want you to have peace as you live out this short season called life. And in your life, you have an assignment. God has assigned you things to do to bring glory to his name until the day that your faith becomes sight. And then you're going to rest in peace for all of eternity. And in the meantime, parents, he's called you to raise those children in the Lord. You have them for 18 or 20 years, then you turn them loose. So during those 18 or 20 years, it's hard and you got to get up early to have your quiet time and you got to work hard. And the world is, look, the world is coming after your children to indoctrinate them against anti-God stuff. And so you got to work hard to keep the world out. And listen, you need the church. You need to surround them with other people that journey with you that are raising those kids in the Lord. Amen. And marriage, your marriage is... It's not an eternal commitment. It's a lifetime commitment to honor the Lord. And God gave you a spouse, not to make you happy, but to make you holy. To grow to me more. There's no one that knows your warts more than your spouse. And you need that so that they can point you to Christ and say, look, you need to work on this. Because we're in process. Put in the practice the things the Lord has showed us. And God's given you a job. And you're supposed to work hard and thank him because that provides for your family. And this is all in First Timothy. And have a little bit left over to share. So that you can bless others. And God's given you hobbies. And if you have disposable incomes and you have hobbies, praise God. And use those hobbies to be on mission as you meet people in the community. Say, hey, listen. And they notice that, man, you're, you're reasonable in trying circumstances. How, why are you so reasonable? And let me tell you about this guy named Jesus. And God's given you a church where we pull together our time, talent, and treasure together as a group of Christians so that we can better exalt the gospel of Jesus Christ in our community and all around the world. And my prayer for you is that the good shepherd would give you peace all the way till the day your faith becomes sight, amen? So here's what I want to do. I want to invite the, the worship team out. We're going to close with singing. So come on out, worship team. I'm going to invite the prayer team up right now. So prayer team, come on up. You guys are on the screen. If you need prayer today, you want to talk to them about how to receive Jesus, they are here for you. I'm going to send you out this morning with a benediction. Anybody know what a benediction? How many of you grew up in a church where they always ended with a benediction? The word benediction means blessing. And I want to pray this prayer of benediction over you, that God would bless you, that you would this week Go in the peace of God. He's with you. He's given you assignment. He didn't leave you alone in the assignment all the way to the day your faith becomes sight. So let's do this. I want you to stand. And as your pastor, man, I want to pray this prayer of benediction over you. It's found in Hebrews chapter 13. And then we're going to go out singing. Now may the God of peace who brought you Who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. That's your assignment. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory, Forever and ever. And all God's people said, let's go out singing.